Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is 2.30 on Jan- June the 6th, 2006. Yes, it's Slayer Day, 6606. So put on your speed metal and uh, dance to Satan's hoof bits. So hope you're doing well. I have been working with Christina for the last 45 minutes to come up with a good metaphor for this topic, uh, the topic that we're about to talk about. And we think we've come up with a pleasant metaphor, certainly a lot more pleasant than the first metaphor that uh, came across to my mind, which I will tell you about at the end, and then you will be quite thankful that I didn't use it. But I think it's an important topic, the one we're going to talk about today. It's something that certainly gets me going from a a standpoint of ethics, and it's something I think where we are uh, really in danger of fuss-budgeting our way into early graves as a movement. And the question really... Uh, fundamentally to me is around one of priorities and it is around how we spend our time in our pursuit of communicating positive and beneficial ethics which are completely countervailing to the current cultural norms. So I would like to uh, use a metaphor to try and convince you that to nitpick ourselves into atomic particles is not going to move the movement anywhere forward except it is just going to keep us staring at our own navel and not get us out into the world, which is where we need to be because the world so desperately needs us. So we'll go through the metaphors, and it's been a while since we've had the Extendothon metaphor workout, the metaphors EP, so we'll see how far we can take this one in order to communicate a central thesis. We actually have three metaphors for the price of one podcast today. That's three metaphors for your 50-cent donation for this podcast. So uh, we think that you'll be getting your metaphors worth uh, from from your currency. So here's the first metaphor, the metaphor of sleeplessness. Let's imagine that the whole world over, everybody believes that if you sleep for more than four hours, you slip into a coma and you die. This is the foundation of medical science, this belief. You sleep for more, more than four hours, you're going to die. This is true. Babies, you wake them up every four hours. Children, you wake them up every four hours. And you never let anyone get more than four hours sleep. Well, of course, this is going to have a series of, not fatal, usually, I mean, I guess in in terms of accidents, possibly, but not from a physiological standpoint, not directly fatal kinds of consequences to people's health. So people's uh, blood pressure is going to be up. Their startle response is going to be very high, their fight or flight. They're going to have um, uh, more tendency towards heart attacks, higher stress hormones. Uh, they're going to have more adrenaline, more cortisol in their system. They're going to have uh, a continuously stimulated neuropsychological responses. And last but not least, their immune systems are going to be suppressed, which, of course, is what occurs when you don't get enough sleep for a long period of time. So people, though, of course, faced with the alternative of dying <laughs> if they get more than four hours sleep a day, are going to live with these side effects and say, well, gee, these side effects are a whole lot better than being dead. So I guess we'll consider this a huge medical advance to realize that you shouldn't sleep for more than four hours a day. Now, let's just say that we happy few are a group of researchers who have stumbled across the idea that more sleep than four hours a day will actually be enormously beneficial and that you will not slip into a coma if you get more than four hours sleep. And let's just say, to complete the metaphor, that we live before the age where you can record stuff and play it back and so on. Now, what's interesting about this is that if we, as responsible physicians, interested in advancing people's health in the world, the first thing that we need to say is... 
that sleep, more sleep is healthy. That the existing wisdom that more than four hours sleep a night will put you into a coma and make you die is wrong. And that more sleep is healthy and people will be better off and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you and I and everyone who's on the Free Domain Radio boards are all sitting around and we all have this belief that we should be able to sleep for more than four hours a night, and we've all tested it out and it works beautifully. I mean, it takes a little while to get used to. We're a little groggy at the beginning because we're not used to getting the right amount of sleep. We're all sitting around. Now, my first argument, as my argument has been throughout these close to 300 podcasts, my argument is... Ooh, let's go out into the world, people, and tell people that they can get more sleep and it will be healthy for them. It will not be bad for their health. They won't die. They will be healthier. It'll be a little disorienting. There'll be some uh, uh, grogginess, but they'll adapt quickly and feel much, much better. Well, I sort of get the feeling sometimes that a lot of people's other opinions are, well, but they'll still be insomniacs. Right? Even if we tell everyone, and they believe us, that they should sleep more than four hours a night, there will still be people who can't get eight hours sleep a night. And so what we have to do is we have to wait until we can convince everyone before we convince anyone. And I think that's a kind of addiction to over-preparedness that has always paralyzed Philosophy has always paralyzed moral philosophy, except that sort of pseudo-moral philosophy that sort of goes alongside religion and Marxism and all that kind of nonsense. Collectivism and all that stuff that makes people comfortable with subjugation to authority. I think a lot of what's going on on the boards and in conversations and in emails that I'm getting is a kind of intellectual fussiness which says that until we can convince everyone of everything, we're going to keep debating. Right. Now, Jack Welsh, when he was um, uh, president of uh, his, uh, his company, GE, I think it was, GE, he said that what he wanted to do, and this is, you know, ready, aim, fire is a thing that's talked about in business. I mentioned it once before. So what you do, you get your gun ready, you take your aim, and then you actually pull the trigger. Now, when he got to GE, because they were so heavily involved in R&D and they never actually got products to market, it was like he said, the problem was, it's like, ready, aim, aim, <laughs> and you never actually pull the trigger. And I sort of feel that this is sort of where we are as a movement. In my, in my humble opinion, this is my diagnosis of where we are as a movement. So we have a question on the board where somebody says, well, the libertarian movement is not complete because we have not proven that parents have obligations towards their children. I got to tell you, looking around the world, parents raise their children. They don't put them out in snowbanks. They don't tie them up in garbage bags and toss them down ravines. They care for their children. They care for them badly. And there are a few people who really do do horrible things for their children in the senses that I've just talked about. But it's not something that we need to prove that parents have obligations towards their children because that's how people actually act. And so I think where we are is we've said, okay, well, people really should sleep more than four hours. They'll be healthier, there'll be fewer accidents, people will live longer, their, their, their overall immune systems would be stronger, fewer heart attacks, they'll be happier, they'll be more peaceful, they'll be friendlier, they'll be in love, they'll be floating on a cloud compared to where they are now, where they're dragging their sorry, exhausted asses through life, like most people do with their modern philosophies, dragging on their necks like a bunch of vampires because they've got entirely uh, the, the backward sense of ethics. But we have this incredible gift, 
And so we want to be out there and communicate to people that they should sleep for more than four. They're not going to die. More than four hours a night will be healthy for you. But we're all sitting around here going, well, I mean, come on. There are going to be people who are just masochistic, who won't want to sleep more than four hours a night. How are we going to convince them? Well, to hell with them. To hell with them. The problem is that people believe the wrong things. You know, it's really amazing to me. We claim to be moralists, but our enemies understand morality about a thousand times better than we do. Because they teach everyone the wrong ethics. They teach everyone that up is down, black is white, slavery is freedom, war is peace, all of that stuff. Now, yes, a few of us escape their nets. A few of us survive to think for ourselves and to reason for ourselves. Do they say, well, our control isn't working, our subjugation of the human race isn't working because there's a small percentage of people, actually a small fraction of a percentage of people, who get away? And all they want, they're not going to try and control anyone because they haven't been able to control us. Well, of course they don't care about that. The fact that we few are free hasn't brought down the system. So our enemies understand the principle of universality and, and ethical theories so much better than we do. Because we sit here and we fuss and we fight and we say, well, in a free society, what about an axe murderer? And in, and in a free society, what about, what about the parents who don't care for their children? And in a free society, these are absolutely minuscule and unimportant issues. The important issue is that people believe the wrong things. Now, if we go out there and we actually are in conversation with people and we prove our ideas in a substantial manner, does it mean that everyone's going to become moral? Well, of course not. If we, if we convince this mythical society of the sleep-deprived that they should sleep eight hours a night, does that mean everyone's going to sleep eight hours a night? No. There'll still see, be some people who get by in four. There'll be insomniacs who can't get more than two, and there'll be people who sleep ten. So what? It's still They have the choice now. They have the choice. They're not forced to four or less hours of sleep a night. And the fact that we are free has not brought down the totalitarian systems of family, school, and state, and church that we all live in. Our little exceptions to the rule of general slavery have not brought down slavery. Similarly, the few exceptions to those who live in peace and freedom in a rational society will not bring down the rational society. And for us to fuss and fuss and fuss about how we close all these loops and tie up all these loose ends and convince everyone, it's just an excuse for inaction. You look at any kid, any kid, I swear to God, you get any kid over four or five years old, right? You put two kids in a room and you go next door. You can even put a video camera on if you want, right? So there's Sally and there's Bobby, right? Then Bobby takes the toy from Sally and pushes her over. And you and Sally starts crying and you come in and you say, hey, what happened? And Sally says, he took my toy and he pushed me over. And you say to, to Bobby, is that true? I guarantee you, almost every single child on this planet is going to say, that's not true. 
She pushed me first. She took the toy first. It was my toy. It's my toy. I came with it. I was playing with it. I got up for a moment. She turned around. She took it. And then I tried to get it back from her. And I tried to be nice. And then she pushed me down. And I grabbed the toy. And I fell over. And it seemed like I yanked it from her. And then she fell over. And she's blaming me. You're going to get these big, huge, convoluted moral explanations. There is no child that you will ever meet who's going to say, Hell yeah. Yeah, I am Peter and took her toy because I'm bigger. We are so programmed with ethics that at the age of four or five, and I bet you it would be even earlier if we had the verbal skills, self-justification from an ethical standpoint is absolutely hardwired into human nature. Now, our enemies understand this. They trust the ethics of human beings. That's why they corrupt them. Nobody is sitting here waving guns in our face on a daily basis. Even us who are free, but everybody else who believes in these false ethics, the enemies of freedom and rationality know that human beings are run by ethics. That's why they take them in when they're children and put them in schools and state schools and, and uh, churches. Because they know that human beings are run by ethics. And so they take those children and they mold them into slaves based on ethical commandments that they cannot escape. And we who believe in ethics don't believe that human beings are ethical. Isn't that astounding? What an unbelievable reversal of cause and effect. We believe in ethics and we doubt the ethics of people, their, their goals, their desires to be ethical. Statists and collectivists claim not to believe in ethics and control the entire planet by fully accepting that human beings want to be good and corrupting that desire to be good, which is innate to our natures. And the exceptions that we represent, they don't care about. Ah, so a few of them get away. The system stands. You know, you have a little cancerous in your body all the time. You've got bacilli in your intestines. Still we're healthy. There is no perfection in the world of matter. And yet, we look at the sun of truth and rationality and we say, well, it's totally dark because there's a couple of sunspots up there. Yes, there's going to be people who disagree. There will be people who treat their children badly. There will be people who will be axe murderers. There will be people who will be sociopaths. There will be all of those people. And they will be a smaller segment of the population than anarcho-capitalists are in the current world. And you don't see the status saying, well, we can't have any control over people because there's a couple of people who disagree with us. So that's metaphor number one, sleeplessness. Metaphor number two, the issue of time. The world is not static, ladies and gentlemen. The world is not static. Things are not in a state of stasis. Things are getting worse. Time is not on the side of freedom. So for me, dithering when you've got all the time in the world is one thing. Dithering when you don't is quite another. So here's my, here's my second metaphor, the metaphor of the gymnast. So you're a gymnast and you've been training since you were five years old and you say you want to go to the Olympics and, and you're good. You're really good at it. You're an excellent gymnast. You can boint and spring around like Nadia Kamenichi on a trampoline. And then it's like you're 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 twelve, you know, you're fifteen years old and your your coach says, you know, you really gotta go to the Olympics and you're like, Well, you know, 
I think I'm good, don't get me wrong, but I'm not perfect. Like there's this one flip that I only get nine times out of ten, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep training. I'm going to work on it because I'm not perfect. I'm not going to get a perfect ten and everything. And your coach tries to say, oh, you know, you're not getting any, uh, you're flexible, it's the right age, you can do it now, right? You're like, no, 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 I'll take the next round. Four years from now, I'm all over it, right? So then you go ahead, you keep training, and you get so that now you're 19 times out of 20 on just about everything, you're going to get a 9.99, still not a 10, because you're not perfect, right? And then you're 19, and it's like, okay, the Olympics have come back. Your coach is like, okay, you're even better now than you were before. Now you've got to go to the Olympics, for God's sake, get on a plane and go win some gold. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, the problem is, I agree with you, but see, there's still these couple of moves that I have problems with, and remember that time I fell three months ago, that could happen again, so I'm not, still not perfect, and I'm still going to whatever. So I think you get the idea of where the metaphor is going, right? You're 23, you're 27, and then at some point, it's like, you know what? You've been striving for perfection so long that it's now too late to do anything. And that's my concern for the freedom movement. Oh, dither, argue, argue, dither. What about this? What about that? What about the other? But the world is not static. The world is not becoming more free. It's not waiting until we're ready. Now, people who enjoy, who lust for power over other human beings are not sitting there saying, okay, these guys aren't ready to come out and debate us. So we're going to put the national debt on hold. Let's stop. We're just going to freeze that war in Iraq. We're going to freeze the increases of taxes. We're just going to hold off until they're ready. No, the Olympics come along and you're either there or you're not. And if you're not there, if you're dithering and saying, well, it's not perfect yet, it's not perfect yet, it's not perfect yet, well, you're going to get too old. And then what was the point of all of that? So, I have no problem with intellectual consistency, but we are only human beings. We're not going to be able to answer everything. We're not going to be able to have a perfectly fleshed out, absolutely flawless, convinced the whole human race moral theory. But at least we can bring something almost infinitely superior to what people believe now. All right, so let's go with metaphor number three. So you have a terminal cancer. See, at least one of these isn't related to health, so I feel that that's quite a degree of variety in my metaphor generation. You have a terminal cancer. There is one pill, one pill, that you swallow that pill, and your cancer's going to go away. And you're going to be perfectly healthy. Eh, mostly. Now, you get that pill, and you're like, oh my God, that's the best thing ever. I thought I was going to die. I take this pill, and I'm going to survive. Oh, how wonderful could, could, could life be? And you're reading the instructions, and it says, um, down in the fine print at the bottom, uh, 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 has, has a chance of causing heartburn. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, a rational human being would be like, you know, I don't even want to read to the bottom of this, because as long as it doesn't say, will cause death, I'm doing better than waiting for this cancer to kill me. So you get down to the body, may cause heartburn. Ooh, you think, wow, okay. You know, that's no good. Because there's a risk here. There's a possibility that uh, something negative might occur in a sort of minor way. So uh, what I'm going to do, see, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until they c refine this pill so that it cures my cancer but no longer comes with the minor risk of a possibility of heartburn at some point. 
Because, you see, the solution has to be perfect. Because if there's a risk in the solution, that's no good. Well, of course it's possible that they're going to refine this incredible pill to cure cancer so that it doesn't even come with a vague possibility of heartburn on the side. Sure. And they might do it in the three months before you die of cancer. But I don't think so. I wouldn't bet on it. And that's where things are with the freedom movement. Right? Freedom is dying all over the world. Right? I'm not trying to be overdramatic here. Just read the newspaper. Right? Civil liberties are shrinking. National debts are rising. Standing armies are growing. Uh, economies are self-destructing. The, state, the power of the state is growing all over the world. All over the world. Right? I mean, the, the sand is running out of the hourglass. And we're the only people who can do anything about it. Right? We're, it's not going to come from Wolf Blitzer on CNN, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. This guy needs access to the government. He's not going to say anything. It only comes from us. We're the only people who can do anything about it because we're the ones who thought about ethics and debated it and so on. And we have a good understanding of a better way of doing things. We have a consistent ethical approach to the world, subject to rationality, subject to the scientific method, all of those wonderful things. We have the answer. Now, is it a perfect answer? Might it cause heartburn at some point? Yeah, sure. In the transition to a free society, yes, some bad things may happen. There may be some heartburn, socially speaking. Sure. Are we going to refine the pill to the point where it's absolutely perfect and try and be that gymnast with the perfect 10 score who ain't going to get into the Olympics even though she could take home every single gold? Because relative to some platonic fantasy of perfection, she doesn't measure up? relative to the destruction of freedom in the world today, are we going to wait until we have every last T crossed, every last I dotted, every last little loose end tied up before we present this? It's going to be too late. When Christina sees a patient who's 60, she doesn't put her on a 30-year plan. We have to act relative to the time that we have, and not just the time we have personally, but the time that society has as a whole. Because we can change things. We can turn things around. We start with our friends. We start with our family. We start with what is close to us. We start living with integrity with those around us. If they can join us in this world of integrity and rationality, fantastic. If not, ditch them. Because we have to be people who believe in ethics if we're going to win the fight of ethics. And if we say integrity is worth something, rationality is worth something, freedom is worth something, and then we are enslaved to irrational and bi-irrational people in our life, we're not going to have any credibility either to ourselves, which is where we need it most, or to others, which is who we need to convince. So the basic thing that I'm really trying to say is that this Hamlet-esque paralysis that we have is a movement where we are not launching ourselves into public debate because we might have questions, that people might have questions that we can't answer. My suggestion is that if you don't want to get out into a public arena and debate with people as best you can, then don't bother with the movement at all. Right? If you have this fear of not being perfect, if you have this fear of having people ask you questions that you can't answer, 
if you have this belief that somehow we need to design a society where there are no psychopaths, where there are no child molesters, where there are no axe murderers, where there are no people with the sniffles, where there are no colds, and there are no insomniacs, and that's the standard by which our solutions are to be judged, then we are like the gymnast looking for the perfect 10 and refusing to compete and you can get in the ring or get out of the training room because we're not going to get that perfect 10 or there's a chance we might fall. Because we don't have all the time in the world. This movement is hundreds of years old. I mean, we're just inheriting all of this stuff that other people have, have come up with. This, this movement is hundreds of years old. And if we haven't worked it out by now to the point where we can present it as a credible solution without having to be perfect... You know, to hell with the people who demand perfection. To hell with the people who demand absolute consistency. If you can do it, great. I think it's impossible. Because the human mind is finite and life is short and you can't learn everything. But if you live with integrity or with, uh, with, with yourself, you have to get out there. You have to have these conversations with people. And if you don't like having conversations, fine. Write articles. And if you don't like writing articles, fine, have podcasts. And if you don't like having podcasts, fine, post on message boards. And if you don't like doing that, fine. But have conversations with people in one form or another. And I would love to say that the only thing that we need to do is sit in a room and be wise ourselves, but I kind of want children that Christina and I have to grow up at least with something that we've got, something that I grew up with, which was freedom, uh, relative to what we have now and certainly relative to what's coming. So I don't think we have the luxury of pure introspection. I don't think we have the luxury anymore of debating internally until we're dead. Sadly, things are going a lot faster than I certainly thought in, in the direction of, of less freedom. And so I think that we need to... I mean, the only thing that I'm asking, the only thing that I'm asking in this, this, this whole podcast series, the only thing that I'm asking, you don't have to do a damn thing, of course. right? I mean, you don't have to do a thing. But all that I'm asking is that we begin to take our respect for ethics and for the ethical nature of human beings, that we begin to approach the respect for that that our enemies have. That's all I'm asking. That we begin to respect ethics as much as George Bush. That we begin to respect ethics as much as a priest does. Just... Get close. We don't even have to pass them. We just have to get within visible distance of their respect for ethics. Because those guys know what ethics are all about. Those guys know the natural ethical nature of human beings. That's why they use so much propaganda. Because they know if they can hook into the ethical nature of human beings that human beings will whip themselves into oblivion. So all I'm asking is that we respect ethics, say, as much as Stalin did, or as much as Mao did, or as much as Hitler did. If we can approach the respect for ethics that the great collectivists in history have had, if we can approach the respect for ethics, say, that Marx had, we will absolutely triumph as a movement. We will absolutely set the world free, and we will get high schools named after us, which, of course, is my central goal in life. I'm not asking us for it to be perfect. I'm not asking us. I mean, the whole point is to argue against perfection. Right? Perfection is the enemy of the good. Perfection is the enemy of virtue. Just ask anyone with obsessive-compulsive disorder, you know, and they'll tell you all about it. 
But if we can begin as a movement to respect the ethical nature of human beings just to the degree that a Sunday school teacher does, if we can respect the fact that human beings want to be good by our nature just as much as the Pope does, then, I mean, the game is over. We're totally done. But if we sit here, oh, we're warriors for freedom, but all we do is we sharpen our swords and we polish and we practice and we, we polish our armor and we, we practice all the moves in our armor and, and it's like, but we never go out onto the field because we're just not ready. Well, age overtakes us and drops us into the grave. And then what the hell has been the point of all of that? It's like the gymnast who says at the age of 37, you know, I think I'm ready, but the problem is now, every time I go out, I sprain my ankle. <laughs> well, age overtook her, and she can't compete anymore. So that's sort of the, the, the message that I'm, I'm trying to put out today. Um, I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I'm really not. I'm trying to encourage us, right? What we really need is traction. What we really need is to have an effect. I mean, that's why I work so hard on these podcasts and on the board and on my articles and all that sort of stuff. I have other things that I'd like to be doing, but this is, I think, a good use of my time in the service of, of humanity, right? I like to think I'm a, in my own way, I'm a doctor and I'm trying to say to people that if you sleep for more than four hours, you're not going to die. In fact, you'll feel better. And I'm not going to worry that if people then say, well, you know what, I, I'm, I just want to sleep for four hours of my own choice. At least then it's a choice. I don't have to, right? So, so that's sort of my main uh, argument here is to say, yes, we can delve into these atomic nitpicky topics. But what we're trying to do is substitute a malevolent view of human nature with a logical construct that will never work. If human beings want to be good, if human beings are by their nature rational and virtuous, which I absolutely believe they are, based on cumulative experience of nearly 40 years, thousands of conversations, working in a daycare, tons of kids around, watching my nieces grow up. Every single human being I've ever met justifies what they do from an ethical standpoint. Every single human being. Try, just try, try this as an experiment if you don't believe me. Go to somebody and say, go to some soldier and say, well, why did you sign up? Are they going to say, well, they paid me money and I got to shoot people? No, of course not. I wanted to serve my country. It's all you're ever going to hear. Go to some politicians. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a public servant. I'm serving the common good. That every single human being justifies what they do with reference to universal ethics. I mean, we can't open our mouths when questioned about um, moral choices without justifying ourselves. It's absolutely impossible. So if you don't believe me, go have those conversations with people and then you can come back to me and tell me what you got and I can guarantee you what you're going to get is nothing but uh, try it with your own parents. Why did you do this? Well, it was the best. we thought it was the best thing at the time. We did the best we could with the knowledge that we had and this is how everyone did it. This was the right thing. We were told to do this. Dr. Spock said that, blah, blah, blah. You're going to get all this kind of stuff. You'll get it even from other kids. You'll get it from your own kids if you if you have kids and you ask them why they did certain things. Always. It's like we can't open our mouths without talking about ethical justifications. That, to me, is an indication that we're kind of interested in ethics. And that, as, a hu as human beings, we kind of focused on being good. That's, of course, the answer to the question, why so much propaganda? Why do they want uh, kids in public schools? Why do Sunday schools start at the age of five? Because <laughs> even five-year-olds desperately want to be good. It's just in our nature. We can talk about why another time. But it is the case. In a state of freedom... It wasn't like anyone needed to go to a whole bunch of indoctrination camps in the late uh, 18th century when capitalism came along, right? When the, when the free market came along, it wasn't like we need to send everybody to these camps to get deprogrammed from socialism and from the medieval feudalism. 
They're just like, I'm free? Pfft, great! I'm going to the city. I'm going to get me a job. I'm going to be me a capitalist. Right? That's what people do in a state of freedom. They don't need to be deprogrammed. They need to be programmed, and that's what continually happens. So all I'm asking is that we have the same respect for ethics that slave masters do, that we have the same respect for people's desire to be virtuous as um, as soldiers, uh, as recruiting officers and corrupt uh, people do. That's all I'm asking. If we can summon the respect for ethics that our enemies have, then we're absolutely going to win. If we can't, if we feel that we need to create all of these logical constructs because people are just going to want to be bad and axe murderers and kill people and this, well then, why would we want to create a free society? If people don't want to be good, then a free society is the worst thing in the world. If people do want to be good, then slavery is the worst thing in the world. So that's, that's the contradiction at the heart of our, our, uh, of our movement that I kind of want to expose. Right? So that's sort of my, my major uh, conversation topic here. I hope this is helpful. It's a very, very important topic, I think. And so um, I look forward to uh, hearing your response to it. Uh, I thank you for listening. Sorry if I was uh, over-enthusiastic, uh, but to me this is a very, very important topic. This uh, paralysis is, is desperately bad uh, to the movement. And uh, two, two, two minor issues of business. Um, got a donation this morning. Thank you so much. Looking for more. would appreciate it. Uh, still going to be on vacation. Don't think I'm going to do the Sunday show because I'm going to be away. Um, but I'll post that. That's still up in the air at the moment. I'll post that closer to the time. Uh, and also, I forgot to mention for the last little while, if you could come by freedomainradio.com, enter your email into the FeedBurner uh, site there, you will uh, get the chance to um, get emails of when I post stuff. And I will also get a chance to count up the listenership, which would be good. And uh, last but not least, I'm actually running out of... Uh, this is sort of geeky and technical, but I think important. Um, this particular feed file, I'm, reach, I'm running out of space. I'm trying to take out keywords and stuff, but it's sort of a zero-sum uh, zero game at the end. Uh, you're only allowed 256K, because uh, like most people do a podcast a week, and I do like 10. So <laughs> most people can go for six or seven years in uh, what I've done in uh, sort of six months. So um, I'm running out of space because um, uh, I think FeedBurner only will handle a 256K file. If you know some way around that, great. I don't think there is one. So I'm going to have to switch uh, files. Uh, I'll have Free Domain Radio 2 or for whatever. Um, so there will be probably only one show more on this particular file, but I will announce it uh, before I switch over to the new file so that you can update uh, yourself. So thanks so much for listening. I hope you're doing fantastically, and I will talk to you soon.